everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of BAM Weekly. That's Boris and Matt Weekly, Boris and Matt Sports Entertainment. We come by many names, but the hosts, they come by one. I'm Boris, and as always, I am joined by Matt. Bonjour! How's everybody doing out there? We hope you're doing well. Boris, a chilly fall day. A little bit of the fall blues out there, maybe. You know, it's uh, the, the realization that a cold winter ahead it hits hard in Canada, buddy. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Before we get into things, we might as well let people know what we're going to be talking about. So on the sports side, we're going to be talking about the Players' Tribune. We're going to be mixing sports and wrestling with this because earlier in the week, Brian Danielson released an amazing article. But we're going to be touching on that, but we're also going to be talking about the Players' Tribune in general. There is tons of baseball talk. Hopefully... Hopefully, hopefully enough Jays fans are listening so that you're not too bored. And then we're going to be covering NFL Week 3. Then on the wrestling side of things, you know, last night was a huge AEW Dynamite. So we are going to be stealing some thunder from the old fucks, from All Elite Weekly. We're going to be talking a little bit of AEW. We're going to be talking some ROH. And then it's going to be all things New Japan Pro Wrestling, all things G1, A. G1 Palooza, some would say. G1 Schmorgasborg, buddy. For the next five weeks on BAM, we're going to be covering multiple G1 shows every week. This week, today, it's shows one through three of the G1 Climax 31. We also got a, a brief Q&A at the end that hopefully we'll have enough time to get to. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. We can't dilly-dally too much, but Boris, I do want to ask a couple things. One, how are you two? How, how are you uh, feeling, sir? And two, most importantly, how are you doing about the official news that the Swiss Chalet at Dufferin Mall is now dead? It's that, officially dead, buddy. So, it's funny that you ask, because I was having a fantastic day, never felt better, saw the news that Dufferin Mall Swiss Chalet is officially closing. For those of you who don't know, couple weeks ago as I was talking about my personal life I was mentioning that I was going to go to Swish LA later in the day and I was asking on this show to Matt because this is you know we might as well talk about our lives live as we talk podcasts um if this Swish LA is still open well it was and we got news today via blog to you that it is officially closing having said that I'm actually feeling overall okay but I'm feeling a little under the weather. I don't know whether it's the, you know, the change in weather, you know, the change in 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 in, in barometric pressure. I don't know what it is. Like my hearing is all off, my head is all off. I was literally drinking a bottle of water earlier and it just fell out of my hand. Oh dang. The motor skills taking a dive here this morning, Boris. No, I feel you though. I'm very uh I'm a little congested this morning. I'm very full of allergies. It's it's like that kind of that kind of time. But you know what? At least it's the breeze is beautiful out there. If it doesn't rain, it's kind of nice. I, I I love the fall weather. You know, I love I love football and I love uh, you know, throwing on a hoodie and walking around. Like don't get me wrong. But yeah, the it the winter is coming, Boris. The winter cold, is. cold winter is coming. Yep. Yep, we'll see how this winter treats us. Hopefully not as bad as the last few. I don't even remember how the last few winters have been, to be honest. I feel like like the last winter, the one that we just most recently survived, was actually pretty decent. It was kind of dope, like, well, considering. We were inside, right? 
Exactly right. Yeah, it could have been much worse. I don't know. But yeah, hopefully uh, the, the snow gods take it easy on us. But yeah, glad to hear that you're feeling somewhat okay. Hope Hopefully you get the motor skills back and, uh, you know, feel a little more crisp in the coming days. But uh, yeah, man. I, I think we might go shoot some hoops or kick the uh, soccer ball around. You're not, you're not in town. Eh? You're, well, we're doing this remote. Clearly, you're not in town. I love when you answer your own question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always invited to come boot the soccer ball around with us, homie. You know that. Oh, I know that. All right, dude. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. We're going to mix the sports and the wrestling side because I'm a fan of these, as cheesy as they are, you know, and it's all PR and optics, right, at the end of the day. But sometimes you really get a good sense that the person who wrote it legitimately means what they're saying. And that's how I felt about reading this one. Especially for our sports fans. You know, the WWE, for the past, I would say, five years, have been under a lot of pressure, a lot of turmoil, a lot of negativity. You know, they can do no right. And half of this stuff, and I would say three-quarters of this is their own fault they've done this to themselves through flat out lies through shady dealings with saudi arabia through just shady business practices and whatnot you know the wwe has done a lot to themselves and just this is just the business side of stuff we're not even talking about the product they're releasing um you know the wrestlers they have released and just the overall shitty way that the wwe has been acting over the past especially three years 100 percent, man 100 million percent so and what we're referring to if it was not clear was the brian danielson piece in the players tribune so it was nice to see not only just like a heartfelt thing out of the wwe umbrella quote unquote even though he is now AEW, he was mostly referring to his time in wwe but it was just nice to see a a positive you know a positive spin on something that vince mcmahon did it was nice to hear his name said in a positive light i'm not even saying he deserves it i'm not saying i love him but it was just such a change from what we've been seeing lately well that's the thing right like you know what i i you know i i know i'm gonna get flack for this but i feel like vince mcmahon gets a lot of negativity put on him just because of the shitty stuff he does the shitty product he puts out you know the <laughs> rumors of him ripping up scripts backstage and you know yada 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 and stuff like that but you you always hear these stories of how he's helped wrestlers harley race for example um you know even as as current as jake atlas who's suffering through mental illness you know wwe really supporting him through the tough times and whatnot right like we have to remember, like, there is that side of it that we really don't hear of a lot of. And I, I, there's probably a thousand and one stories that we haven't heard about. So seeing this, especially right now, while the con- uh, the the company is under so much turmoil and so much distress, was really good. Because if there's anyone, in my opinion, who really benefited from their time, and I'm not even talking about professionally, personally, would probably be Brian Danielson. He met his wife, had his kid. You know, his his career went like just skyrocketed from being a household wrestling name to a household name. Period. You know, main eventing WrestleMania, re- despite the creative plans. Like this guy literally did it all. And I think this, you know, the, like I mentioned at the top, oftentimes it's PR and optics, but I really did feel like this was something that he really felt and and really wanted to get over because let's also remember because of injuries daniel bryan 
the WWE performer was off for a few years, about three years, right? So, like, you know, they took care of him. They made sure he was employed. They paid him. Um, you know, he got to spend time with his family, etc. There's a lot from that perspective, from the Brian Danielson perspective that we have to consider, right? Yeah, a million percent. Yeah, the Players' Tribune, it's cheesy. It's like you said, it's pure pure PR. That's all it is, you know? It's like a blast of PR to the face. But there are some things, there are some heartfelt moments in there. I'm glad it exists. Uh, you know what I mean? you got to take pretty much everything in there with, with at, some, at least a pinch of salt, at least a little dusting of salt. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a very nice thing from, from Brian Danielson. It was very nice to read. It was good for WWE to get a positive shout-out in the press for once. Yep, exactly. All right, enough of that. Let's move on to some baseball, dude. Baseball is heating up, and you know what's heating up? And I know we talk about this all the time, but even if our team wasn't in this division, we would be talking about this division, and that is the ALE, or the AL East, American League East. It's a it's it's a it's a horse race, man. It is a three horse race right now. It's insane. I've never seen this, and I don't even remember when. I'm sure it's happened yeah. recently, but we don't follow other leagues as much. Um, and we're talking it's a four about, horse race. Yeah, four horse race. You know the the Jays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees for the wild card right now is just yes. absolutely unreal, insane. So. If the season ended today, Boris, the Jays would miss the playoffs. The yep. Jays would miss the wild card. They would be the fourth of the four horsemen. They would be, I don't know, who's that? The the Barry Windham, the Ole Anderson, which is the which is the fourth ranked horseman. Definitely Mo- uh, Mongo. <laughs> just gonna say, definitely Mongo. Shout out to Mongo. Hope he's doing well in his fight against ALS. Anyway. Uh, he's certainly the fourth ranked of the four horsemen in any given group of horsemen. Anyway, man, the uh, the Jays, this is the most important four games of their season. Obviously, it's near the end, but they have to basically sweep Minnesota or go three out of four. They're starting a four-game set against Minnesota. Minnesota sucks. They are a beatable team. The Jays need to take at least three of these four, at least. And then Matthew Mateo, who do they face next? I believe they close it out. Uh... Is it is it Tampa uh, Yankees or just Yankees? We have Yankees. Just Yankees. Well, we there you Yankees. go, man. So I, we all we have to do is be within three games of the Yankees, the and thing, then we can sweep that series. Here's the thing also. The Yankees have a game up on us. So we have to essentially, over the next seven games that we have against um, the Twins and the Yankees, we have to win at least six of them, in my opinion, to be comfortable-ish. Well, if we if we sweep the Yankees, they're screwed. You know what I mean? We'll take it no matter what. I, I unless unless we get swept by Minnesota, all we have to do is be within three games of the Yankees when we enter that series, right? In order to just at least be comfortable if we sweep them. So the good part, I, I, the good part is, guess who's facing the Yankees this weekend? Who's that? Boston. There you go. So please beat the crap out of each other, and we'll see whoever emerges in that. But at this point, because Boston already has a two game lead, I'm kind of okay. If Boston just obliterates the Yankees there, and then the Yankees just are the team that ends up falling out. We'll see how it all shakes down, though. But the most important thing is Toronto's facing a beatable team four games in a row. They have to take care of business, buddy. They have to do it. But just remember, after these next seven games, we still have three more games. There's ten games left in the season. And the final three games, October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, are against the Orioles. 
Oh, nice. It's the Orioles that we closed the season out. Yep. Right, 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 right. Beautiful. Okay. So we're good to go, man. We're, uh, I'm liking where the, uh, the Blue Jays are at. It's, uh, if we switch to the National League real quick, it kind of Bef- looks like it's all pretty set. Go, go ahead. Before we jump to the National League, I have, this is my bold prediction. I'm throwing oh, this in here, throwing it on the podcast so that when this happens, I can say I, I called it. Oh, I can't wait. That is. I think there's going to be a three-way tie between the Jays, Red Sox, and Yankees, and there's going to be a game 163 and 164. Oh, my. That is that is a spicy meatball right there, buddy. That would be incredible. I love a game 163, although the AL wildcard game itself has kind of made it meaningless now. But back in the day when you did get the 163 every now and then, it was always so exciting and dope. Um, shall we switch to the National League yes, now? Yes, we shall. So, yeah. Yeah, just briefly looking at that. So it kind of looks like San Francisco might win their division, although the Dodgers are only two games back of the Giants. They could easily catch them there. Uh, Philadelphia, only two games back of Atlanta. Kind of looks like Philly's best chances to catch Atlanta in the division rather than catching St. Louis in the wild card. I think the Dodgers, well, the Dodgers and or San Francisco are in the playoffs no matter what. They're already locked into the the first wild card. At this moment, the St. Louis Cardinals are, I believe it is, what is it, four and a half games up on both Cincinnati and Philadelphia for that last wild card spot. San Diego, Boris, they're out the playoffs. They're about 500 right now. They're 76 and 75. They're six games back of St. Louis. They're not going to make it. They fell off the cliff. They just got recently swept. Here's the thing. Here's another thing right now about the NL. I've always said this. I'm a fan of the Dodgers. I follow the Dodgers. I see and I, I know how they play against certain teams. Can I tell you what team I am most afraid to face in a one-game wildcard game. Who's that? The St. Louis Cardinals. The oh. Dodgers cannot ever beat the Cardinals. We just can't beat them. I don't know why. They just can't beat them. They are the equal to Tampa Bay Rays kicking Toronto Blue Jays' ass all the time. Over and over, up and down the stadium. And, man, St. Louis is red hot. They've won 11 in a row yep. quietly. Maybe it's only quiet here in Canada and they're one of the most storied baseball teams of all time. But yeah, uh, uh, St. Louis, 11 in a row. It's going to be awesome. I love the baseball playoffs, man. They're the arguably the best playoffs in sports. Baseball and hockey, they step it up to such a huge degree in the playoffs. It's so great. Yeah, it's crazy. Man, the next 10 days are just going to be so much fun to watch this. Like, typically, even if the Jays are doing well, we kind of know by now whether they're going to make the playoffs or not, right? Um, but and so I shift my attention to our next subject. But this year, I'm all baseball right now. Like it's crazy. I'm finding it so hard to switch the channel from baseball to most likely wrestling. It's insane. Like last night, dude, I honestly contemplated watching Dynamite later just so that I can finish watching the Yankees game. Nice man. Well, that's hey man. You follow the follow your heart, buddy. The heart wants what the heart wants. Um, but yeah, I I'm feeling that too. Like I'm feeling I'm loving the Jays right now. I I pick the Jays basically over any other sporting event that's going on at that moment because yeah, playoff baseball and the like the stretch run of baseball is really actually so exciting. It really is. It's so it's so exciting. So much fun. It's like. You know, even if you're not a baseball fan, there's something to be said about just so many teams. It's like, dude, 
it's a 162 game season. And you know what? You know what? What did I say when we were on our patio with my buddy Kevin having some brewskis, watching the Jays obliterate the Red Sox, the Red Sox coming back and our, our bullpen absolutely shitting the bed? What did I say then? This game can haunt us. That game happened on June 20 something. Like, yeah, like it's crazy to think how every game actually kind of matters. It really legitimately does, man. And like you said, we could we could be gearing up for one game 163 or 164, man. It's so exciting. All right. With that said, we're going to move on to the next topic of the day, and that is NFL week three. But before we go there, I think Matt and I need to need to vent a little. Because I think we're yeah. going to cry over the next several weeks. That is because Miami Dolphins quarterback Toa is out for an undisclosed amount of time. Tua, dear sweet Tua, broken ribs. Coming off of his last college season where he had a broken hip, he was unhealthy while drafted. He played himself into health, banged up during his rookie season. Our quarterback might be a band-aid, buddy. He might be a band-aid. Or... We'll find the next Tom Brady. <laughs> That's one theory. <laughs> I, I don't know. think Jacoby Brissett is the next Tom Brady, unfortunately. Yep. And you know what's funny? It's, I think, 19 years today when Drew Bledsoe took a nasty hit and Tom Brady came in. Just like any given Sunday. Wow. The Willie Beeman of, yeah. our, of our universe, Tom Brady? <laughs> yep. Yep. But yeah, so week three... Thursday night football is going to see the Panthers and the Texans. Sure. Why not? Boris, I'll tell you this. Carolina Panthers currently at this moment in a standard scoring NFL fantasy league. They are the third ranked defense. Okay. They're available in a lot of leagues. I'm in a 16 man league. I, I picked up Carolina at the start of the week specifically to play them in this game. I might not play him again. Who knows? But they're playing a rookie quarterback. I actually even forget his name, but it's not Tyrod Taylor for Houston. Tyrod Taylor's hurt too. Yeah. So Carolina is getting a rookie quarterback on a, on a short week, Thursday nighter. If you're, if you got fantasy and you, you don't have your defense locked up this week, check if Carolina is on your waiver wire. If they are pick them up, start them right away. Start them tonight. Right. And then we have, our Dolphins going up against a red-hot, surprising Las Vegas Raiders. Yes. Yeah, so I don't like the Dolphins' odds there. They squeaked out a win against the Patriots, got obliterated by the Bills. I think this is going to be way closer to the latter than the former. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're going to get obliterated by the Raiders. Yeah, same here. Speaking of the Bills, they're facing the Washington football team. Uh, Washington football team a little overrated coming into the year, but they still got some great young chips, both on defense and offense. But yeah, I think the Bills should win. Uh, here's a question I had for you, Boris. Yeah. Um. Okay. Do you think the Raiders at two and zero about to go three and zero, as we can both pretty much plainly see? Do you think the Raiders are for real in the AFC, and do you think they are a threat? No, I don't think they are. <laughs> I don't think they are. Look, let, let's be honest here. The Raiders. Barely got the dusty finish against uh, Baltimore week one. Good call. Um, who did they, I don't even know who they faced last week. I don't remember, actually. 
Was it uh, was it Pittsburgh? Yeah, I'd have to. Yeah, it was Pittsburgh. Yeah, they they beat Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh right now, you just never know what Pittsburgh is going to be, especially at the start of the season. You know, yeah, uh, Roethlisberger. To... The defense is much worse, and Roethlisberger doesn't look great. So yeah, yeah. So you know, and and they tend to have slower starts nowadays. So you know, we'll see, but we'll see. And they, they fail the Dolphins this week. So yeah, they're going to be at least three or four and zero, oh, and then we're going to see exactly where the Raiders really are. Um, uh, an interesting game, though, for me is going to be the Sunday night game, and I'm really interested in this game. Um, it is the Green Bay Packers versus the San Francisco 49ers. I'm cracking an afternoon beer for that one, Boris. Packers versus Niners, two of the great teams in the history of football, two of the most public teams, as they say. And I'm starting Aaron Jones in the fantasy league. So, yeah, I I definitely think the Packers are going to be like these are two high end NFC contenders. This could be an NFC title preview. I think so. I think so. Um, and I just love people. I, I love people. who like, And you can tell who watches football for with headlines and who actually follows the game. Because the amount of people that already wrote Green Bay out by the middle of the second quarter last week saying, oh, Rodgers is done. Rodgers doesn't even want to play anymore. Blah, blah, blah. It kind of just made me laugh. For those of you who don't know, there has been a lot of tension, to say the least, between the Packers and their star quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, host of Jeopardy, Aaron Rodgers. But uh, but yeah, Boris, so what happened was they drafted Jordan Love last year, who's a young quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers responded by winning the MVP yeah. and saying, hey, I'm still here, guys. Don't forget about me. So there's always going to be this like unsettled thing until either they trade Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers packs his bags and heads for California or wherever yeah. it may be. He he's gonna take his uh he's gonna take his uh, talents to uh, South Beach. <laughs> Buddy, I love it. Oh my god, my heart just grew three sizes. Your okay, heart. so while we're talking, <laughs> yes, yeah, my heart. Let's be clear, my heart grew three sizes. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, while we're here, same question about the Raiders, except to the surprise team of the NFC, about to go 3-0 and tonight, the Carolina Panthers. Are they for real with Sam Darnold and this new defense? I think they are for real. I honestly do Whoa. think they are for real. I, I legit do. I don't know why. My, my, my gut thinks that this team is legit. Everyone seems your to be heart of heart, right now. Your gut of guts? Yeah, my heart of heart with a tear rolling down my face. I really do believe <laughs> that this team is legit. That's interesting. Yeah, you know what? I think if if the Panthers played the Raiders on a neutral field, the Raiders would be favored. But I think I might like the Panthers in that game. You know, I I, I think I might like the Panthers more. Sam Darnold, I trust him at this point more than I trust Carr. Yeah, 100%. Now, I have a question for you. Hand me. The Chiefs. Do you think last week's loss was just a, a rarity? Or do you think there's more going on in uh, Kansas City? I think it's a it's a it's a blip. They're still the toast of the AFC. They are still the best team. They might even lose to the Chargers because they're getting everyone's best shot. They're like that team. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the end of the day, when the season ends, when the chips are settled, I think KC will be the team that's in the Super Bowl from the AFC yet again. Yep. And then you know we also have another surprise team, the Broncos, two and zero facing the zero and two Jets. 
You know what? I kind of like the Broncos a little more than they were given credit for. Their defense has always been really good. And I got I to gotta say, I like the offense, how it's shaking out. Uh, who's the, who's the, Javante, is, who's the rookie running back they have? I can't wait till he starts popping off. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's Javante something. Anyways, the other game that I'm really looking forward to, and I'm sorry for blowing through these, just we're doing a quick preview of week three, um, and this is going to be the afternoon the game that I find on DAZN, DAZN, whatever you want to call it, it's pronounced DAZN, that is Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 2-0 versus the L.A. Rams, who are also 2-0. Yeah, very, very interesting match here. The These Rams, they're a sneaky team, man. They're always so good. Sean McVay, he's got a nice roster there to play with. You don't know what team is going to show up with the Rams. Look at how they were all last season, right? They were so unpredictable last season. I feel like this is more of the Rams that we saw from a couple years ago, um, you know, making the Super Bowl. But I just, I don't know. It just, to me, it just, I just don't know which Rams team is going to show up. Yeah. I I don't know which Kyler's going to show up, but so far through two games, Kyler Murray's looking like the MVP. Like, he looks like the best player in football. And Boris, I believe we had that here on BAM. We told you to wait on Patrick Mahomes and snake Kyler Murray because he's going to be just as good this year. And two games, knock on wood, he's looking pretty tasty, buddy. Yep. Yep. And the last game I really want to talk about is because talking about players who finally look the way that they should, let's talk about a team that finally looks the way that they should. And that is the Minnesota Vikings at 0-2 versus the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> at 1-1. <and> <laughs> I see what you did there. And I got to say, I like it. I still think Dalvin Cook is, is one of the most underrated players in football because he's that good. People don't realize how good Dalvin Cook is, even though he's the second overall pick in fantasy. They still don't know about Dalvin Cook, I'm telling you. Justin Jefferson, sick. The quarterback, uh, anti-vaxxer Kirk Cousins, he doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, Boris. No, he does not. He does not <laughs> at all. Um, just ask Arash Madani about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to put a, Just to put a point on the things, the, the Broncos rookie running back is Javante Williams. Williams, yeah. Uh, Quarter, quarterback Teddy Bridgewater compares him to, to Alvin Kamara, says he reminds him just of just like Alvin Kamara. I'm excited for him to get more play in that Broncos offense. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we move into a wrestling side of the show? Um. No, I think that's I think that's pretty good. Uh, keep your eye out on Browns receivers in fantasy. Rashad Higgins is a guy who might blossom because uh, Jarvis Landry is now out for six weeks minimum because he's on the IR and. Odell Beckham is just coming back from injury, so he might not be 100%. Those are the number one and number two receiver in Cleveland down or not healthy, and they're going to need someone to step up. So you have to uh, be Richard Higgins might be the guy. You have to be careful this week because they're facing the Bears. Uh, Browns this week are Bears, are Bears. they? Bears. Bears. Bears, nice. Yeah, sorry. Bucks are facing uh, – the Rams are facing the Bucks this this week. I yep. was looking at week four. The Rams are facing the Cardinals week four. My bad. Okay, no, the, yeah, sorry about The that. Rams are facing the Bucks, and the yeah. Bears are facing the Browns. Gotcha. The Bears. Yeah, the, you know what? The Bears, eh, uh, their defense isn't quite as good as it has been in years previous. I think they're still a threat, though, obviously. I, I just want to see Justin Fields actually yeah. play the whole game. Yeah, right? <sighs> oh, the NFL. I, 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 I love the beginning of the season because, you know, Everyone makes bold hot takes and bold predictions. And then by week six, seven, I feel like everything kind of just gets back to normal in the way that it should be. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, right around like that. That's the exact like a month and a half, month ish into the season. That's when we settle in. Good call, buddy, for sure. Yeah. Week one and two, especially, you can't always take too much from. Remember last year when the Jaguars won week one and then promptly lost 15 games in a row? Some would say they put out elite performances week one and two. <laughs> Probably wouldn't. I probably, well, week one, yes. Weeks two through 17, not so much. Oh, fucking Jaguars. Oh, man. That's a team that just, like, what is it? Man, thank God that Florida has the Buccaneers. Yeah, man, exactly. Yeah, and, well, they they also have, uh, like, Champa Bay, right? They have uh, the Lightning and they have the Rays, too. Well, I meant but, uh, in NFL, at least. Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah the yeah. great state of Florida, they needed it. They deserved it, for sure. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, that is that for sports. We're going to move on. We're going to start talking some wrestling, and like we do every week, we're going to kick it off with some ROH, and then we're going to be talking some AE dubs and then G1 Palooza. So, ROH, dude, you know, we sh- I should have known. I should have known when Jay Lethal came out at the pay-per-view and gave his passionate speech about the Pure Division. I should have known because the Pure Division was featured all of last week. And guess what? The main event for this week's TV is a Pure Division match. Yeah, a pure division match after a pure division gauntlet. So, hey. Yep. Yep. All right. So, let's get to it. So, there were two matches this week on ROH TV, um, and they were both pure division. The first match was a pure division gauntlet. Can't say I've ever seen one of these. No, a very interesting idea. I like I like the idea of a gauntlet match. I'm a, I'm a sucker for tag team turmoil. I remember when that started, it was pretty exciting to a 11, 12-year-old Matthew. I, I I like a gauntlet match. There's a you know lot you can do with it. You know what I'm not a fan of in like, talking about these special matches? And, of course, we're just going to veer off from our subject because that's what we do all the time. Um, beat the clocks. You know, uh, beat the clock challenge. We're going to work a little blue here. <laughs> My buddy Sully, he had the, the best line ever. It was like a female beat the clock challenge with like, it was like Molina versus Beth Phoenix. And he dubbed it the beat the cock challenge. <laughs> anyway, so sorry if we were listening with children in the, in the car. But <laughs> anyway, I uh, I agree. The beat the clock challenge, it's, it's a good idea on paper, but they rarely do enough with it to justify doing it. Yeah. All right. So. One thing that really, I want, you know what, I don't want to say bothered me, but it did bother me on ROH TV, and I know, and I God bless ROH for taking health precautions, for taking care of people, but they are still wrestling in empty arenas. It's a tough watch, and you got to respect them for doing it, like at the end of the day, I, I, I get why they do it, it's good that they do it. But oof, it makes for bad television, man. It's just not the TV show is not as good as it well, could be. Obviously, what sucks is that these shows for the past couple months have been stellar. Maybe one or two episodes haven't been, but technically, and for sorry, uh, the majority speaking, they have been 
absolutely stellar, but a point has always been taken away from our rating system, the Jor, because of the empty arena, and this week was no different. So let's get to it. Match number one was the Pure Gauntlet. So the first mini match was world famous CB. That's Cheeseburger versus Eric Martin. This match was pretty short. Went three minutes, 14 seconds. Um, CB won after he used a stretch submission. So that was that. Delirious. Nice. Yeah. I was just going to say, I love me some cheeseburger. He's one of my favorites. Definitely like in a live setting. He's someone who always gets the crowd going. I like this world famous CB character, but I, I didn't actually see this show, buddy. So this is all you. That's good. All right. Delirious was up next. So we had world famous CB versus Delirious. Um, man, Delirious started very aggressive. CB trapped Delirious with a leg scissor submission, and he was forced to use his first rope break. Um, there was a dragon suplex from uh, uh, Cheeseburger onto CB. Corbett Clutch from Delirious to CB, and then Delirious trapped CB in a triangle choke, and CB was forced to tap out in 5 minutes, 31 seconds. So just two quick questions here, buddy. Number one, so uh, uh, a competitor, their rope breaks don't restart. They just have three rope breaks for the entirety of this gauntlet? Yeah. No, no, no. It does restart. Every match is its own thing. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I think it would have been interesting to kind of have it not restart. That'd be part of the gauntlet. That's either here or there. Is Delirious still booking ROH? Um, I think he is after the Bully Ray incident from last year. Right, right, right. Very good. Yeah. Um, and after the uh, the ye who shall not be named. Yeah, yeah, geez. I, yeah, I always forget about that. I forget that uh, yeah. so the villain was even in for a split second. Yep. And I love the fact that Flip Gordon has completely dropped that gimmick. Anyways, so third match of this gauntlet was Delirious versus LSG. Um, this one only went five minutes and 21 seconds, and Delirious essentially um, controlled most of it. Uh, LSG did lock Delirious into a muta lock, um, and this actually was able to give him the tap-out win. So... LSG moved on after 5 minutes 21 seconds but it was kind of like a David versus Goliath type thing next was Joe Keys so it was LSG versus Joe Keys this one I didn't really care for much it was just a lot of technical back and forth this one went 4 minutes 37 seconds and LSG ended up winning and then my friend it was the final competitor Brian Johnson, Mecca versus everybody. Brian Johnson obviously has to come out with a mic. And let me tell you something, my ah. friend. I think he listens to us. I think he listens to us. Oh, nice. Is he shouting just a little less? He's shouting a little less, talking a little more. Um, and when he does shout, it adds that extra oomph. You know, it's it's like it's a it's that exclamation point at the end of the sentence as opposed to the entire promo. Unreal, man. Yeah, I love Brian Johnson, but that was our one big criticism of him. It's just he just is always at eleven, and he's just always shouting, and it's kind of like more annoying than it is. If you actually listen to his verbiage, he's a great promo, but it kind of gets lost in the shouty shouty. So yep. I'm glad, man. I'm glad he's doing a little more, a little more uh, calculated, a little more Jake the Snake in there, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right. So LSG versus Brian Johnson was the final match. 
All right, so LSG tried to put this match away really quickly as he put the Saints up, the Saints explosion, but Johnson had his foot on the rope, used his first rope break. Johnson said, F it, to the code of honor. He used a closed fist punch to LSG that dropped LSG, LSG, um, sorry, um, Johnson went for a pin, put his feet on the ropes, and the referee saw this, and the commentators are saying, because Brian Johnson has already used his three rope breaks, he can now use the ropes for his pin? Huh. So that's, eh, I, don't I don't know like if that. I love I that. I don't like that. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of an interesting little twist, but that kind of also ruins the entire concept of, of the rope break thing. Then everyone would want to use all their rope breaks. Yeah, if I can use it as momentum, then you know, if uh, then <laughs> then then I might as well just give up all the rope breaks, use that as momentum, and and get the win because Brian Johnson did end up winning like this. So you know, I think that it's smart. Look, I understand that this is the heel who did this. He dropped the code of honor by closed fist punching um, LSG, but just the rules around there was very weird, very weird. Yeah, I don't like that idea because yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose of wanting to protect rope breaks at all. I, yeah. I I don't like that. I hope they change that, dude. And then something even weird weirder happened in the main event. So all right, so that was the gauntlet winner of the gauntlet, Brian Johnson. Here's the thing: the matches were relatively okay timed all the commercials were entrances but the ending did take a lot out of it for me so i'm gonna have to give this three handshakes out of five nice still a good match but like you said like kind of kind of seems like the ending was weird and just just a strange decision that kind of negates the entire purpose of these matches yep all right so the main event was mike bennett versus rhett titus in a pure rules match (laughs) Oh All boy, right. Bennett, Titus, next. Yeah. All right. So let me just judge, or let me just jump to the end of this match. They're going back at it. They're trying to put submissions on each other. Both men end up using all their rope breaks. They're going at it. Tons of back and forth. The time is running out. Back and forth chops. Um, timer goes to 15 minutes. Match is over. But it's not a draw, my friend. It is not a draw because apparently there are judges in these matches and the judges gave this match to Mike Bennett. I think I I vaguely remember that there are judges in pure rules matches. Okay, that makes sense. It's been so long since we've seen one of these, though. What I liked about that is it was stupid, but what I did like about it was the fact that, again, Ian Riccoboni, Caprice Coleman, you know what? They are quickly turning into my favorite commentators in the business. Nice. Because at the end of the match, when they announced Mike Bennett as your winner, they were saying, what judges? Who's judging this? No, who, who are these judges? Nice. So it is very much an angle then here going forward. Yep. All right. So are we get, are we going to get Mike Bennett and the OGK with the <sighs> crooked judges, the Russian judges angle, Boris, your boys, the OGK. Oh my god! Why did you even have to <laughs> remind me of the other guy? I don't even know. Sometimes. Oh, anyway, your favorite. So 
this match, um, I would honestly have to give this three handshakes out of five on the Code of Honor scale. Nice, nice, nice. So of the two of the two matches of the Big Gauntlet or uh, Titus v. Bennett, which would you say was better? Gauntlet, one hundred percent Gauntlet. 100% gauntlet. Eh? Yeah, you uh, you just have no time for uh, either Bennett or Titus. More so yeah. Bennett. More so, yeah, exactly. All right, so that was that. Um, next week in a pure rules match, we're going to see Brian Johnson versus PJ Black. Uh, mentor versus mentee match. I always like these. Yeah, that'll be good. The uh, former Justin Gabriel versus our boy, the Mecca, V everyone, Brian yeah. Johnson. And then Let's the main it. event as it stands right now, is Brody King and Jay Lethal versus Kenny King and Shane Taylor. Nice. Nice. That's an interesting match. You know that Jay Lethal is from the same town in New Jersey that I am? Elizabeth, yes. New Jersey? You've Shout mentioned out. that every time we watch ROH. <laughs> Shout out, Jay Lethal. I love it. All right, Shout man. Shout out. So, yeah, so overall, like I said, it's it's. I, I love it. I love the pure rules. Um, you know, for a casual fan, I can see this being a hard jump-on point because the pure rules stuff, you know, I know a lot of people don't like these types of matches, um, but if you're an ROH fan, if you've ever been a fan of ROH, you are a fan of these, but what's really killing the show for me is the no fans. Yeah, it's a really good call, man. It's a necessary evil, but it sucks, especially... Looking at a show like AEW Grand Slam where they pack 20,000 people into an arena that have never had wrestling before. It's just an amazing show from start to finish because of the crowd. Sure. From start to finish, huh? From start to finish? (laughs) From start to finish. finish. Let's jump into this conversation now. AEW Dynamite Grand Slam edition from Arthur Ashe. I would say we had the greatest first half hour in TV in a really long time. With Kenny Omega versus our boy, the American Dragon. Now, the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Buddy, this was no less than one of the greatest opening matches in the history of professional wrestling. This was the best match that has ever aired on Dynamite. One of the best matches that has ever aired on free TV. This is the second best match in AEW history. The second best only to... Uh, Hangman Page and Kenny versus the Young Bucks. And this is a five-star wrestling match, period. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It blew my socks off. It was everything I wanted and needed times 10. Yeah. All right. Cool. And I agree with you 100%. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> you, you said everything I was going to. That That's like, there's nothing else to say. It really was just fascinating. Um, let's move on to something before we move. Okay, no. Let's stick with this match. The end. There's been a lot of discussion among not only the SNME radio uh, Facebook group, but among other groups. And it's been a split between, you know, whether they like that ending or not. And by that, I mean that it went the full 20-minute draw, which is kind of funny because both you and I joked, not jokingly, but we kind of both said it is going to be a draw. I predicted it on the uh, on the old uh, Fox show with uh, Joe Aguinaldo. I, I thought it was going to be the 30-minute draw. I, I'm glad they did it. I think it was the, the right uh, thing to do. I think it put – I one of my friends texted me, 
And he's kind of pretty negative on wrestling overall a lot of the time. He likes what he likes, and he has a lot of questions about everything else. And he didn't like this finish at all. He actually tweeted, it's uh, the guy who runs WWE Trivia TO, and he tweeted out on the account, this match at the 29th minute, five stars. At the 30th minute, zero stars. So there are people who feel like that, and that's fine if that's what you feel. I just, I just vehemently disagree. I completely disagree with the fiery power of a thousand suns. Here's the thing. Boris is a fan of hot takes, and I got none for this match. Now, I do, but here's the here's the thing. We have to remember, this is the beginning of their feud. This is not the blow-off. This is not the final match. This is an amazing way to start the feud because no man is, is better than the other right now. And what happened right after the match? Kenny Omega starts going on Twitter saying, no rematch. No rematch. Perfect. Perfect shithead heel maneuver. Uh, that's the best promo that Kenny's ever cut is no rematch on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> took me a second. Too, it boys. took me a second there. Yeah, don't give don't give that man a live mic. I'd rather listen to an Ember Moon promo. Yeah, I said oh, it. Oh, 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 I wouldn't go that far. That's, don't say something you can't take back now. <laughs> but uh, so yeah. Just quickly go through the rest of this show. Loved the CM Punk promo. Was pretty disappointed with MJF versus Brian Pillman. I thought the wrong guy won a bad match. I also think, I don't like the fact, you know, here's the thing. If we're going to criticize WWE for certain stuff, we're going to criticize AEW for certain stuff. Dude, MJF has been running his mouth on his father, his mother, his sister. Why is Brian Pillman coming at all happy and happy-go-lucky? Shouldn't he be running out there to try to kick his ass I, I'm not I, so mad with the loss of that Brian Pillman had but it's more the 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 attitude that he had throughout the match like he should be out it. there trying to kill this guy that's interesting man you know what that didn't even bother me as much as the result but I can totally see that yeah at the time I that didn't bug me so much because I did think that Brian Pillman was going to win ultimately, but now that he lost and he also didn't really show enough aggression and he tapped out clean, that's bad for this kid's career. He's kind of slotted. You know what I mean? I get that MJF is is the big star. He's the priority at this moment, but I think he could have afforded the loss. I think it would have been really nice like to have Brian Pillman get that big win. I certainly would have booked Pillman to win that match. But here's the thing. MJF needs a big W, dude. He's taken a lot of L's in his short career in AEW so far. No, I don't think so. He's lost to Jericho once, and he's but, lost but to he's uh, lost Moxley. Big, he's lost his big programs. Uh, you, no, well, no. Uh, he, he won the Jericho program. He just lost the last match. He won up and down the rest of it. And uh, Moxley, he lost. He lost the Moxley program for sure. Yep, and Cody? I think he won the Cody program. No, it wasn't much of a program. They only had the one match, right? Yeah. Here's the thing, though. I, I don't know. It's just the the the. It was more the intensity that bothered me. Um, okay, so again, I don't want to tread too much on the old fucks, but yeah. I do want to talk about one match, two matches in particular. Fucking Cody. <laughs> go, just go, buddy. Pull the string. You go. You ran. Fucking Cody. Who the <laughs> fuck do you think you are? Seriously. <laughs> fucking homelander walking out here like he runs the fucking show like he runs the business like dude Wait calm up. the fuck down who are you 
You know, it's it wouldn't bother me so much, but it's just the entire entrance. It's just the entire show. It's like it is better than everyone else's. It is more grandest than everyone else's. Brandy coming out would made me laugh out loud. I literally laughed out loud. I'm glad to see her. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely beautiful woman. I don't I don't hate Brandy Rhodes as much as some people here on the SNME radio uh, feed. You might. But uh, I thought this was a pretty fun match. I definitely thought the worst match on the show was MJF. I thought it was much better than the previous. No, no, I, I thought this was the worst match. I don't know. Here's the thing. I felt, and okay, so all joking and like my stuff, my 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 thing with Cody aside, um, I feel like uh, Cody just didn't match up to Black's technical skills. It seemed a little sloppy at times. Even even leg roll ups and stuff. It just seemed. It just didn't seem smooth. It didn't seem right. Um, what didn't really help also for me was production. Um, the camera angles at, at some point just was a little odd, to say the least, where you can clearly yeah, see that, like, you know, it didn't even go near Cody's face. Like, there was a point where Cody jumped in the outside and Black gave him a jumping knee to the face. It was just really bad angles that hurt the match for me. And again, nothing to the two competitors. Even after after the, the black mist, they zoomed in on Cody's eyes where there were clearly no mist. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't know. They could have they could have done a better job with some, some things, but I think I didn't think it was as bad as you did. I, yeah. At least the right guy won. But then, of course, the feud continues. So yeah, that's and, true. True. Yeah. Anyways, and and the one thing I did want to like point out with the whole like, what what was the whole point of Brandy going into the ring? Like just to put her over, just just to do a spot. Yeah. Sure. Anyways. All right. So going from that, I want to talk about something that kind of impressed me, made me pop. And it's a wrestler that I've never really been too fond of. But I will give this guy credit because I think he was actually the best person in this match. That is a 62-year-old Sting. Yeah. You're not a Sting guy, eh? I've never been. No. Interesting. I've always been a pretty big Sting guy. I love Sting. So yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. Pretty, well, I am surprised that he's still doing it at 62. But after the match against, uh, was it the the Men of the Year, right? That they yep. had. Yeah. After that match, which uh, which I loved, I'm not surprised, man. Sting has proven in my eyes that he can still go. So that's crazy. But no, it, it's, just, it's awesome to see. Like the dude is still like doing like neck breakers and stuff like it's just amazing um just the performance he had like you like him running the ropes you can't tell that he is 62 that's how uh, you can't now i was just gonna say him running the ropes stood out so much to me that, as well that's like, what wow, stood up for me move. yeah yeah it's crazy Crazier. like we've seen rick flair we've seen hulk hogan we've seen undertaker we've seen other people at that age try to go not that you know and it just it was sting is so smooth He's so buttery it's that, smooth. Uh, it's that California sunshine, Boris, as you well know. It keeps you young. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. So I just want to give kudos to Sting. Honestly, overall, I would have to... This show was really good. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, and we'll see what uh, the two-hour rampage gives us. Yeah, I thought the, yeah, the main event was a little disappointing, but whatever. Uh, I, I actually thought Ruby was going to win. I was pretty surprised that Britt won. But, you know, still, still a decent match. You know... Okay, okay. <laughs> now that you did bring that up, 
Um, I'm starting to get a little sick and tired. Yeah, there are no DQs in AEW, but there are too many. Sh- there's too much shenanigans for the win in AEW. There's a lot of a lot of shenanigan finishes for sure. I can definitely agree with that. All right, so that is AEW talk. Be sure to listen to the old fucks all elite weekly. They're going to go in depth with every match, give their point of view, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a fun little uh, show for sure because it was just a special two hours of live TV or uh, just sorry, non pay per view, I should say. Um, regular TV is what I wanted to say. All right, so we're going to move to the G1 New Japan Pro Wrestling and JPW G1. All right, Matt, for the listeners who really don't know what the G1 is, do you want to just uh, briefly explain what the G1 is, what the winner of this G1 gets when the G1 usually is? Yeah, absolutely. So the G1 generally now falls apparently in the fall between September and October. The G1 is a round robin tournament uh, with something between 16 to 20 wrestlers. Generally, it's 20 these days split into two blocks. So you have 10 wrestlers in your block and you wrestle everyone in the block. Excuse me. You're going to have nine matches and just two points for a win, zero points for a loss, one point for a draw. After your nine matches, after everyone has wrestled everyone in the block, the two winners, quote unquote, the two leaders, the two wrestlers who have the most points in each block wrestle each other. The winner of that match is the number one contender for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th, which is New Japan's WrestleMania. There you go. There you go. So the G1 is a huge deal if you are a a New Japan or just a Japanese wrestling fan. It's a huge deal. It's a very fun tournament. You know, something that needs to be said is that you typically in New Japan, unless it's a major show, there are not many one-on-one matches. So having this many one-on-one matches is a big deal. Not only that, you get, dare I say, dream matches that you would only, like like there what what a what what are the way to put it right like you know we got the Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi match a couple years ago on the G1 right like it's like this is the time that you get those one on ones that you've been just salivating salivating for Yes, not only, like you said, uh, is there so many tag team matches usually, but this is single matches. You also get huge upsets, and it's it's the most sports-like presentation of anything in the entirety of the professional wrestling business. This is the sports of sports entertainment. This is a regular season. This is just a quick round-robin tournament where every match matters, all these points matters, matter, and it's intricately booked. Which is why when something happens like Tetsuya Naito's injury, it's pretty devastating. But it's also quite interesting because it throws a monkey wrench into this entire thing, right? Exactly. All right, so this is what we're going to do over the next several weeks. I think five weeks we're going to be talking about the G1. We're going to be going through the cards, but we're not going to be talking about the undercard. We're just going to be talking about the G1 Climax matches. Yes, and we're not going to go blow by blow through them or anything. We're going to go fairly quickly, just kind of tell you the general vibe, general story of the match, give you a rating, and then at the end of each week's show, we're going to give you the current standings, the up-to-date standings, and what we'll be covering next week in the three or four shows. We'll give you, like, the cards as well. So, ready to go, Boris? Let's start with New Japan, G1 Climax 31, Night 1. Boris, this was from September 18th of this year we start with Kota Ibushi versus Yujiro Takahashi buddy what a way to kick it off I love the fact that you said 
it's all about upsets too because i had i was shocked by the result in this match shocked so the, they're telling a story here which is that kota abushi is recovering from pneumonia and he's not 100 percent. so yujiro takahashi gets in there and wins pretty clean there was some shenanigans on the outside of the ring but in in 11 minutes and 31 seconds yujiro pins kota abushi with a move he calls big juice boris which is the gangrel implant ddt yep yep he won with the big juice yeah. So yeah, like uh, like I said, this was uh, you know it was one of the best matches I've seen Yujiro have. Probably, maybe the single worst I've seen Kota have. But uh, that's kind of where they met in the middle. So I would still say it was halfway decent. Not not the best match you'll ever see Kota Bushi have. We're gonna go three. Uh, oh, we didn't even think of this. We're yeah, we're gonna go three climaxes. Oh, 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 <laughs> hold on. <laughs> we're at least a freaking uh, 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 fourteen. It's a G1 Climax 31 kind of podcast. Three G1 Climaxes out of five. 60% Masahiro Chono percentage on this one. All right, next match on night one. Great Okan versus Tangaloa. This was pretty bad. They gave them 17 minutes and 45 seconds. This match should not have been this long. You know what's funny? I understand why the Ibushi match was only 11 minutes. Like, the guy probably can't go 40 minutes right now. But the time should have been switched between this match and the previous match. This match got 17 minutes, 45 seconds. If the Ibushi match got 11 minutes, I do not want to see Great Okan and Tango, especially Tangaloa, wrestle for almost 18 minutes alone. Exactly. Exactly right. And yeah, they gave it a great effort, honestly. They they tried to have a WrestleMania match. The problem is it was Great Ocon versus Tangaloa. So I couldn't go any higher than two climaxes out of five. It's a 40% Manabu Nakanishi uh, percentage on this one. It's yeah. pretty bad. Pretty yeah. bad. And, and it was Great Ocon who won. Let's just, we should pinpoint Yes. That. Great Ocon pins Tangaloa with the Eliminator, which is his Iron Claw Chokeslam. Yep. The next match also surprised me. Yeah, definitely interesting. We've uh, we've seen this pairing before, and if you've seen Toro Yanu once, you've seen him a thousand times. But I I, I still kind of like him. Kenta versus Toro Yanu. Uh, it was it was your classic bullshit Toro Yanu match. He's trying to tape a guy outside so he can win by countout. He's trying to do all kinds of shenanigans, and then he ends up winning with a low blow and the worst roll up I've seen since Owen Hart versus Steve Austin at SummerSlam 1997. Yeah, here's the thing about <laughs> about uh, Yano. It's a it's a constant story every year in the G1 where he is the giant killer. You never know who he's gonna beat, and obviously, you know they're continuing that tradition. Absolutely right, man. So yeah, another fail, another match that was a fail, but fun for what it was. We're gonna go two climaxes out of five. It is a forty percent Raisuke to do to, to Gucci percentage on that one next boris we had tatsuya naito's only match in this tournament buddy yep so for those of you who haven't heard naito is injured what is it the, his knee but like specifically it's like every cl is good done yeah it was i i read it was a torn meniscus and a torn mcl which will put him out for a couple months minimum yeah that's crazy hopefully get well man honestly he's he's my favorite he's been my favorite for a really long time seeing this is tears me apart but this match was great yeah i thought it was great too buddy i really did i uh, zach saber jr is on fire right now feels like he's 
possibly gearing up to maybe win the block or do some damage in this G1 at least. And he's definitely gearing up for a match with Brian Danielson. He could be gearing up for a run with the U.S. title. Who knows what's going on with Sabre. But I think he's getting a, a big push here in New Japan. And I think he's responding very well. This was an awesome match. 27 minutes it went. Uh, you said to me that you thought I could pinpoint when Naito got hurt. But I didn't, I didn't quite. I think there were a couple times when I was like, hmm, you know. But when do you think he got hurt? It was right after the um, when when uh, Saber blocked the Destino. Right after Saber blocked that Destino, eh? Yeah. Okay, he kind of just crunched that. his knee a little bit, and yeah, yeah, kind of looked like that might have been. And then the he tweet. did like he, uh, later on, um, after Saber, he does a uh, Zack Driver. He finally did get the Destino, but it just did not look right. Right. And it looked like he couldn't push off or whatever. Yeah. Now, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So, yeah, uh, Zack Sabre wins with a move that he calls, Yes, I am a long way from home, which is basically like a seated op- octopus hold, like a kind of like a seated abdominal stretch with like a knee-related uh, stretchitude in there as well. But, uh, yeah, so I thought this was a great match. Like you said, we're going to go four climaxes out of five. It is 80%. It's an A-. minus. Uh, dear sweet Naito. Before we move on, can you imagine Zack Sabre Jr. if he stayed in WWE back in 2016? No, I couldn't. Did you like where they would, where he would be right now? Well, Could he would probably be he back in New Japan right now. <laughs> exactly. To be honest. He, he would he, he would have been cut with Bronson Reed and those cuts, honestly. Like, yeah, it would have been bad. He made the he definitely made the right choice in not going for Anyways, sure. Let's move on. All right, the main event of this match. Or this show, a classic match, man. I thought this was great, and I thought there was a there was a strong chance that this would be match of the tournament, and uh, it may have been passed already, man. But we got Shingo Takagi versus Tomohiro Ishii, just two hunks of meat slapping each other hard. This was a absolute hoss fight, just a brawl, just a battle. Yeah, a hundred percent. Ishii. Man, Ishii is insane. He's honestly one of my favorites. He's always been one of my favorites. Like, just, just the, the, the hoss that he is. Like, it's just absolutely insane how crazy he is. Yeah, you're so right, man. Like, one of the best wrestlers. And he was going against Shingo, one of the best wrestlers. So just everything that you could possibly expect. The pace this way, too. These guys are moving like lightning, man. Honestly, like, it's just, it went 27 minutes. It felt half that, maybe. So, yeah, I would go as high as four and a half uh, climaxes on this one. It's 90%. It's an A+. That's a, like, top 25 match of the year. Like, classic level wrestling match here at BAM. Go out of your way to see that one. Shingo versus Ishii from night one. Hundred percent. Night one was really good start. Night two was interesting. Let's move on night, to night two. Night two was interesting. It was a very like a, a pretty average show. Like everything was good, nothing was bad, and uh, the main and then, event was just awesome. Just yeah, as the main sure, event. So. Yeah, it was Randy Orton and John Cena esque. Like these guys just yeah, know each except, other so well. Yeah. And yeah, I would, I would go more. Uh, more flair steamboat than Orton Cena, but you're all yeah, I, I 100% feel you. So yeah, this is night two. We're starting with Evil versus Yoshihashi. Boris, Yoshihashi fucked around and got good at wrestling. When did that happen? When did Yoshihashi get good? <laughs> right? Is that crazy? It was like, was it during the pandemic that he just? That's what yeah. they said on commentary. Legit. They, they kind of, 
without saying uh, these exact words, they were like, well, Yoshihashi put in some new focus and he's really changed his, uh, he's changed his game plan since the pandemic. But it was basically like, man, this guy's been watching his tapes and he's a good wrestler now. But, you know, do, do you remember how many times before the pandemic? I think, like, honestly, like between January and March of that year, how many times he was memed because of like scripts he did or whatnot? Like, he, he was embarrassed quite a bit. No, big time. Absolutely. And like, I, I don't want to say rightfully so, but it's not like people were being like unfair to Yoshihashi. I feel like, you know what I mean? But he's yep. certainly improved, visibly improved. And I think he's doing pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I would go as high as three and a half climaxes for this evil versus Yoshihashi match that kicked off night two. Shockingly good evil pins Yoshi with everything is evil, which is a big STO, a clutching leg sweep move. 17 minutes, 15 seconds, three and a half stars, 70% Kinsuke Sasaki percentage, man. This was a strong match. Really good. Okay, next up we had Chase Owens versus Jeff Cobb, a.k.a. Matanza Cueto, Boris. But uh, you know what? Yet another strong wrestling match here, Chase Owens versus Jeff Cobb. Chase Owens was in there to get obliterated. He was a crash test dummy, but he made Cobb look really, really good. Cobb wins in 12 minutes and 11 seconds with the tour of the islands with his, his twisty, spinny power slam. I really like that move. We're going to go three and a half for this one as well. Three and a half climaxes out of five, 70% Tatsumi Fujinami percentage, buddy. Yep. This, I, I really enjoyed this match. I, I forget how good Cobb is sometimes. Like, Cobb is just crazy. Like, for a guy his size, he has no reason to be moving the way he does, you know? Like, it, it's 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 amazing. It's like, you know, a he's a more powerful Keith Lee, if that's humanly possible. Yeah, I agree with that. It kind of is. He has more power than Keith. He has a very similar style, but it's more power-based, for sure. All right. Uh, our next match on the evening, Sonata versus Tama Tonga. Yet again, man, this is a match that, I, like, you know, they were throwing everything they had. And I I really, like, respect the effort. But after this one, I was like, ah, it's going to get, it's it, they're starting to get a little long in the tooth. This match went 19 minutes and four seconds. And it is what the G1 is. It's it's a hard-fought battle. It These guys really want to win these matches. But they can, it can become a little bit of a slog and maybe that's too negative, but you know what I mean? This was the, this was where it started to feel a little samey to me. Yeah. Let's just say very good match. Agreed. It wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst. Would I want to see it again? No. Exactly. So Sonata wins in 19 minutes and four seconds with an O'Connor roll pinning Tamatonga there. Again, we're going to go three and a half. It's a 70%. It's a B, but uh, you know, I, this is where we're starting to hit the wall a little bit. Speaking of hitting the wall a little bit, Hiroki Goto versus Tai Chi. Tai Chi. Tai Chi. Bro, Tai Chi. 18 minutes and 30 seconds for, for Tai Chi versus Goto, where Tai Chi wins. Ibushi got 11 minutes. Just, like, let's remember this. <laughs> so, yeah, this one lost me a little bit. Hiroki Goto extremely good like very very solid strong worker tai chi's actually a little better than i think people act he's not good but he's like he's not desperate but this match felt too long it was too much of the same thing in the 18 minutes i wouldn't call it bad but this was this is where like the slog it was like we're spending our tires here already and it's night two you know yeah and that's the issue sometimes with uh you know but i feel like let's get 
let's let's finish these kind of quote unquote worst combos so that we can get the really good stuff as we move on. It's it's the uh, you know it's the gift and the curse of this tournament. If you're gonna do it this proper way that they do it, you're gonna have matches like this from time to time. Yep. So yeah, I would still say it was strong. Uh, better than average. We're going to go three climaxes out of five. 60% Prince Devitt percentage, buddy. Uh, and then we had the main event of night two. Boris Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada 14. Tanahashi yep. Okada 14. Dude, th that's the thing. This match, it was still good. This match was still, still good. Still great. Man, 29 minutes and 36 seconds, they teased the draw. I think they've done one or two draws, maybe. Maybe they've even done three. They've done at least two draws in the G1, these two guys. Yep, yep. Anyway, uh, yeah, this was yet another great match from the single best rivalry of this generation. Maybe it's last generation. Depend depends on you, how you split up the generations. But yeah, we uh, just definitely go out of your way to watch this match. If you can only watch one match from night two, it's no contest. It's not even close. Check this match out. Tanahashi versus Okada 14. Their best match in a long time. We're going four and a quarter climaxes. 85%. A safe A. It's an 85% Jushin Thunder Liger percentage, buddy. Yep. And then night three, which was earlier this morning, September 23rd. Yes, starting with the worst match of the tournament so far, Great Okan versus Toru Yanu. It went 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Okan pins Yano with his Iron Claw Slam. If there's a worse match than this in this entire tournament, they fucked up. <laughs> Amazing way to put it. You know what? Great Okan, I don't know. I just feel like his matches lately, the past few months, have just been crap. He's just, he's not in there with like Tanahashi. He's in there with like Toriyanu. I think that <laughs> might be the difference. Yeah, that, I think I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. <laughs> so we're gonna go one climax, a singular climax out of five. It's a twenty percent Bob Sap percentage. Gigantic fail. Worst match of the tournament by a country mile. Next up, your boy Yujiro Takahashi with Peter, the Japanese stripper, versus Kenta. Uh I did like the actual finish of this match. The problem was the 15 second, 15 minutes and 40 seconds that it took to get there, yeah. you know? Now, it should be noted that these two are buddies. They are group members, you know, so this was kind of... And this is another thing about the G1 that I absolutely love is that oftentimes, you know, you'll see Chaos v. Chaos, Bullet Club v. Bullet Club, um, yeah. and, you know, and whatnot. Good call. Thank you for pointing that out. So at the start of this match, Kenta actually went to two sweet Yujiro and Kenta went to be the bigger man and Yujiro turned him down, which is rare because usually Kenta is like the sassy douchebag, right? Did you, what language did you listen to this in? Like the commentary? English. English. Okay. I died, died, died of laughter when Kelly, Kevin Kelly tried talking about Peter's dancing and whatnot. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Tip tiptoeing around her, uh, yeah, her, her quite skimpy costume. If you've never, if you're not familiar with the work of Peter in NJPW, uh, yeah, boy, <laughs> she's uh, she's wearing some uh, Attitude Era sable stuff. You know, it may be that might be being generous. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, Kevin Kelly was just absolutely hilarious. I just died. Anyways, let's continue. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I thought this was an average match. I actually thought it was pretty good for a Yujiro match. Like, he's working hard here, but he's not. He's a limited wrestler, you know. So, Kenta submits Yujiro with his game over, which is basically the LaBelle lock, the Omoplata cross-face combo. Um, so, the the actual finish was pretty cool. Uh, Peter distracting the referee. Yujiro goes for a low blow, but Kenta physically catches his arm and turns that into the label lock, into the crossface. I thought the way the way it came off, it was a little clunky, but I, I kind of liked it. I, that was a pretty good, pretty good little finish. And uh, yeah, we're gonna go average match, two and a half climax eye out of five. It's a fifty percent great Muda percentage, buddy. Yep. And then they two sw- they two swat each other, and uh, that was that. <laughs> they two swatted. <laughs> they two swatted and climaxed. <laughs> By God Almighty. All right. Uh, our, so our second last uh, match to discuss here is Kota Ibushi versus Tomohiro Ishii. Let's fucking go, buddy. These two names. This was a great match. Uh, Ibushi pins Ishii with the Kamigoye. I actually kind of thought Ishii might win this match to further tell the story that Ibushi's starting slow because of his pneumonia. Yeah, Ibushi is in a race to kill himself. Like, this guy <laughs> seriously does not give a shit about his body. Like, man, the stuff he crazy. does, the selling, like, oh my God, like, Ishii, and I just love the fact how it's not even overselling that Ibushi is doing, but Ishii is the stonewalled, small gremlin motherfucker who can kick your ass. And Ibushi just sold it like that like every punch every um clothesline it was just such good selling and uh but yeah like it just he looked like he was just dying out there yeah so they beat the shit out of each other this match was great and the thing is man they've had significantly better matches than this significantly like this was still safely safely great four climaxes out of five for a for an 80 percent shinsuke nakamura percentage buddy but they've had much better matches. These two guys are incredible at yeah, that point. Yeah, 100%. And, and this is the thing about this tournament, right? Like, I always find that the first few nights, yeah, you're going to find, you know, a couple match of the year contenders, as we're going to talk about coming up. But, you know, by the end, you're just seeing, like, five-star matches after five-star matches after five-star matches. Absolutely, man. But yeah. Speaking of which. So, yeah. Oh, buddy. We saw two top 10 match of the year contenders in a 24-hour period last night because we saw Brian Danielson versus Kenny. And then a few hours later, Zack Sabre Jr. and Shingo Takagi went out there and had an absolute barn burner, incredible match. Great psychology, great selling, great moves. Everything about this match was amazing. So this is just this is just a technical warfare, just, just, a, just a bit of... Uh, uh, and a good bit of storytelling, too, because as they, they hammered home on commentary, these men have wrestled before. And Shingo beat the piss out of Zack Sabre Jr. He pulled him up, hit him with a bunch of forearms, and submitted him in the middle of the ring when these guys last wrestled. And the story is that Zack Sabre Jr. has never forgotten it. And though he knows Shingo is, like, dangerous, he's got to beat Shingo, and he's going to do everything he can to do it. Meanwhile, Shingo knows how to beat Zack Sabre Jr. And they were talking about it on commentary. Zack Sabre Jr. is so technically sound that if you keep the match in the ring and try to have a wrestling match, he's going to beat you nine times out of 10. But he's a small guy. He's a slight guy. So how to beat Zack Sabre Jr. is you take the fight to him. You have to push the pace. You have to hit him as hard as you can. You have to throw him on the mat and hit him with weapons and go outside the ring. You can't let him wrestle his match. 
And that's exactly what they were doing here. This was a story of whose matches are we going to wrestle? And, oh, man, just absolutely a treat. It went, what was the time? 27 minutes, 17 seconds. It felt like 10. Felt like 10. May I say something? Please. All right. Did I ever tell you how I felt about Zack Sabre Jr.? Uh, No. I I think maybe actually we did briefly talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, But please uh, enlighten me. Yes. So. I was never a huge Zack Sabre Jr. fan. Everyone is freaking out right now. I know. I'm sorry. I just never bought him. Yeah, he has a style that suits him. But still, when he's up against these monsters compared to him, he should have no place. He should have no place. He should be getting his ass kicked. He is the Spike Dudley. He is the Marco Stunt of NJPW. (laughs) I know. Hot take. And you know know where I'm going to go with this. Yeah. After this match, you know, I'm I'm in. I'm in. I'm sold. This motherfucker can kick my ass. This guy, of course, he can always kick my ass. But, like, you know, now I believe it. Now I 100% believe and buy into his style and his, his storytelling and his psychology. Yeah, they do a good job on commentary, too. They mentioned the six seconds, which is basically if you're in the same position, if you're on the ground with Zack Sabre Jr. for more than five seconds – He'll get you. If he gets to six seconds, you're in a hold. If you're so you gotta you can't be near him. He's like a boa constrictor. Yeah. And I completely, yeah. I, I love his like super duper scientific style, man. And it's like you said, like if you are out on him just by looking at a picture of him, watch five, ten of his matches, and you'll be convinced. Eventually he'll win you over. I believe that this guy is is a, is a dangerous uh, athlete, a threat in there. Yep, 100%. Yeah, this match was unbelievable. This match was insane. This match is honestly match of the year contender. Dude, our match list. Of the year your li- I, I cannot wait to see your list by the end of the year. Oh, it's, it's, it, man, I honestly, like, every day or two, I, I, like, I try to, like, look at it, and, you know, I don't change it every single day or anything, but, you know, I, I do try to look at it, like, at least, like, once a week and try to update it. It is updated after this show. After the previous show, to the second, you can actually check it out on sportsfap.com. If you want a little sneak preview, but if you want to hear the Hulk McCoy, the mean potatoes, we'll be coming at you with another podcast at the end of the year. But this match is going to be in the top 10, man, I'm telling you. It'd be surprising if it wasn't. Uh, Shingo Tagagi versus Zack Sabre Jr., another four and a half climaxes out of five, 90% Antonio Inoki percentage. It's an all-time classic wrestling match, man. It was great. Beautiful. So that was night three, the end of night three, block A. Let us get the up-to-date standings as they are right now. Yes, so we're including Naito's forfeits in here. So I'm giving everyone their points, their two points. It's as though Naito has lost every match already. So with that in mind, group A, standing atop group A with six points, 3-0. and oh, The great Okan, Boris. Number two in group A, four points, two and oh, Zach Sabre Jr. Number three in group A, we have a five-way tie. Kenta, Kota Ibushi, Shingo Takagi, Toru Yanu, and Yujiro Takahashi are all two and one, two wins, one loss, four points each. In eighth, Tangaloa, two points, one and one. In ninth, Tomohiro Ishii, also two points, but he is one and two. Ishii has lost twice, so he is behind Loa in the standings. And at number 10, zero points, 
0-9, forfeits all matches due to injury, Tetsuya Naito. So, number one, Okan. Number two, Zack Sabre. And then there's a big old pack of wrestlers in at number three. Ishii with this loss to Kota Ibushi is probably now eliminated uh, for all intents and purposes. Yep. All right, I need to ask you, who do you think is coming out of this block? It wouldn't surprise me. See, I thought that this whole tournament, I thought that Shingo was going to go the whole way through, maybe perfect. He might lose one match. So I'm still sticking with that. I think Shingo is going to win this block um, and fight in the finals. But it wouldn't shock me if they give it to Zach, man. Wouldn't that's, shock me. That's my pick. I, You know, initially, I was thinking Ibushi. But realistically, I'm thinking Zack Sabre Jr. right now. Nice, nice. I can totally see it, man. I can totally see it. I'm going to say Shingo still, just because I think he might be the rare champion who wins the G1 because they want to put him over so strongly. But I think I I, I, I can see it. I'm going to go Shingo. All right, Block B standings are much easier. We have five guys at two points. We have five guys at zero points. So the five guys who won their matches, Evil, Jeff Cobb, Kazuchika Okada, Sonata, and Tai Chi. They're all two points, one win, zero losses. Chase Owens, Hiroki Goto, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tamatanga, and Yoshihashi are all zero points, oh, and one, Boris. Yep. All right. So who do you think is going to be coming out of block B? Okada. I think Okada wins the G1 this year. Really, you think this is yeah. the, the 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 phoenix rising from the ashes for Okada? That's actually what I thought. That I uh, my original thought was Shingo was going to go undefeated until the finals. He was going to lose to Okada, and there's your Wrestle Kingdom main event. Right, I agree with you, but I'm going to give the tournament to Zack Saber Jr. and it's going to be Okada versus Zack Saber Jr. finals. That that would be very fun, man. Okada versus ESJ final would be dope. Hook me up to that for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah. So you know, we're three shows in. Tons of wrestling to go. It's almost every night. That's why I love the G one. Yeah. My sleep schedule is usually screwed by the end of G one. But when isn't it? <laughs> um, so with that said, I put up a post on the Sunday night's main event radio Facebook pig group. If you're listening to us and you're not a part of it, you should join it because it's a fun little time that we have here talking all things wrestling. So I asked, you know, some for some Q&A. Jake Allenar asks us two questions. With the G1 taking place in the fall for the second year in a row, do you have a preference for summer or fall version of the tournament? Personally speaking... Just just myself, just my viewing habits, fall, 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 for sure, for sure. I like I'm, I'm I do have a lot going on in the summer generally. Like, you know what I mean? I do love the outdoors. I try to get out there, and enjoy Canada as much as I can. Uh, anyway, I, I like uh, I like the fall as the weather's getting colder. Settle in for some nice wrestling. I, I like this a lot more and it feels more spread out, too, than it used to. I agree with you. I, I, it's, it's more of a personal thing for like the one half. Um, you know, I, I like enjoying my summer. It's patio season. There's only so many weeks in the year where you can really enjoy a patio. So I try to go out. Um, and chances are, you know, if it's in the summer, I get back home, watch some New Japan. That gets to be very long days. Now, the reason, the other reason why I like the G1 in the fall is because I found. You know, in the past 10 years that I've been watching 
10 plus years I've been watching New Japan now. Um, between the end of the G1, which would typically end at the uh, beginning of August, beginning to middle of August, up until essentially Wrestle Kingdom, it just felt like filler. You had some tag yeah. team tournaments. You had some, you know, you had the big show in October, but that was it. But it was mainly filler for the most part. Having the G1 in the fall, yeah, you extend the calendar year in the grand scheme of things, but guys don't take vacations as much, but they could now take the summer if they want. And I just find that the wait between when the champion gets his briefcase to the time that he cashes it in at Wrestle Kingdom is shorter, and it just makes for more intriguing storylines. A great call. It makes the time after G1 so much more palatable. It's so much better this way. That yep. It's like you said, it was a big, like, lull. It was like, yeah, like a holding pattern almost yep. for, for like a couple months. It's way better this way, post-G1 schedule. Yep. And Jake also asks, do you view the loss of certain foreigners as a major detriment to this year's tournament, or is the current mix of talent and G1 branding enough to sustain popularity? The only word that's hanging me up in his question is major. Major, no. Detriment, certainly yes. <laughs> it is for sure a detriment. This G1 is not as good as some of the previous G1s have been. Now, I think like guys like Chase Owens, Yoshi Hashi, they're stepping up. So it's not like it's terrible. It's it might even be good in the long run for the company, you know? But it's it's a detriment. Uh, to the actual matches, yes. Yeah, I, I feel like in the grand scheme of things, because the 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 forbidden door has been open, I really do think that there was going to be someone from another company, namely AEW, coming for the G1, a.k.a. John Moxley. I really do believe that he was going to be the one staying for the month in um, in Japan, but obviously, you know, he's he has a little one now, but, you, you know, I, I wouldn't. You don't know what's going to happen. And with uh, quarantine rules, it's just very difficult, right? Um, the only way it would have worked is if you had one block in Japan and then one block in the States. But then, you know, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of operational stuff that you have to consider. But yeah, that's, I do think that, that's also not exactly what New Japan wants out of their G1. It's Excuse their, me, it's right? It's their like, tournament. It's their G1. They're going to take care of it. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, the, it's one of their, it's their major thing. So, of course, they're going to want to take care of it and keep it all in Japan. But I do think that not having some foreigners is hurting it. But we're three shows in. I'm having fun. I haven't really noticed that the big name foreigners are not there. Yeah, I, yeah, million percent. Like, I've, I've felt the loss of, you know, Naito probably more than any, quote, big name foreigner. Although, like, Moxley would have been awesome. It would have been great if Danielson would have had the opportunity to actually be in this as well. But who knows? Like, who knows what happens down the road? I don't think it's terrible this year. I think there are guys who are getting a chance to step up. And we've still seen already two of my favorite matches all year in this tournament. And we're three nights in. So I think we're okay. I think we're okay. Yep. All right. Um, Blaine asks, do you see them replacing Naito in the G1 or just continuing on and changing the schedule? I think we I kind think of... they should have. Yeah. I, I, I think it's pretty done already. I think it's set in stone that they won't. But yeah, they already they announced have. that all, all of his competitors are getting the two points. Yeah, exactly. And we've already taken that into account here. Like, I think that's official. Like, on the standings, if you look it up on the website, they've already been given those two points. He's done. He's out. But I, I, I agree. I, I think they should have. I, I think they should have. 
Yeah, 100%. I think they should have for sure. And honestly, just to change things up, I would have given that person a nice run just to really screw with everyone. That would have been interesting, yeah. It could have been a number of people. You, you could have given an old man run to like a Yuji Nagata, but it would have been cool to give it to like like uh, Hiromu or something. Could you imagine? Oh, yeah, that would have been a lot of fun. All right, Paul York. I love when he asks questions. All right, who is your pick to win G1 and why is it Zack Sabre Jr.? <laughs> nice, Yorkie. So I think your pick is ZSJ. My pick right? is Zack Sabre Jr. and yours is Okada. Yes, mine is Okada over Shingo. Yours is Okada over ZSJ. No, mine is Z- ZSJ over Okada. Yeah, my bad. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. But Okada in the final for both of us. Yep. All right. Uh, Andre Komu asks, why is Zack Sabre Jr. going to win? And why is Zack the best wrestler in the world? Tons of Zack love. Lots of Zack Sabre fanboys. You know what, though? He is one of the best wrestlers in the world. You know what I love about Zack Sabre? His, like, understated selling. Like, when he gets hit with a move and the camera will pan to him on the ground and he'll just be like, he'll be rubbing his jaw and he'll be like, ah, fuck. Like, saying it to himself, like, under his breath. Like, man, that really hurt. I I love Zack Sabre's work. The closer you watch Zack Sabre, the more you are rewarded for it. Agreed. I agree. Like like I said, I wasn't the biggest fan. I've been converted. Huge fan. He's my pick. He's going to win. You know what my dream match would be? Not Zach and Omega. It's Zach and Danielson. Nice. Oh, I thought you were going to say Zach and Marco stunt. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. All right. Next question. Uh, Dan Lavransky asks, will Ishii ever win the G1? I sure hope so, man. I don't think so, though. Uh, I really don't think that they're ever going to give him that main event push that the fans want. Just because they they really do tell the story that, like, the older wrestlers kind of hit their downward. And if you look at Ishii's age, he's at that place where they don't really push guys like that anymore. Maybe he's going to be the rarest of the rare exceptions to the rule. Maybe he'll get that one old man, like, win in a two-month title reign. But I don't think they'll ever even let him win the G1. I really don't. I wish they would. But I know I don't think so. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I feel sorry for for Ishii because he like he deserves so much more than what he gets from the company. But you know, here's the thing about New Japan. Here's the thing about wrestling. But here's especially true about New Japan. Not everyone is going to be a champion. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And like you don't need the belt to be a beloved like Hall of Fame wrestler in New Japan. But yeah. boy, I wish he. I, I I think he should get a reign. Yep. I think he deserves it. All right, Andre then replied, not this year because it's going to be Zack Sabre Jr. And then Blaine (laughs) replied saying, I'd like to see Ibushi repeat. I could see that too. Like, I don't think that's a terrible decision. And you go Ibushi versus Shingo. But uh, I think think it's going to be Okada, like you said. I don't know if if Zack Sabre Jr. versus Shingo could actually main event the Tokyo Dome, you know? No offense to Sabre, who I think is great. I think it's a good enough match to. I just said it was four and a half stars this time around. I think they have enough chemistry and they have enough talent, but I just don't know if it's the marquee value. You right. Know? All right. So here's the thing. Let's 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 fantasy book a little bit, and we're gonna take your theory of Okada winning the G1. All right. Yep. All right. So Okada wins the G1, goes into Wrestle Kingdom, faces Shingo for the belt. And I think that Okada is going to win because, like we said, you know, this is the Phoenix rising from the ashes year for Okada. 
he's been injured a lot. You know, he's had, you know, it's been a tough few years for Okada, but I think that this is it. As he's celebrating his big win, Will Ospreay comes back from the USA to challenge Okada because remember, they were going at it right before Ospreay got injured. I love it, buddy. I think that's that's a pretty intelligent place to go. And I and think that is you know, and then you're gonna get Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. Who's the real champion? Ah, I'm for it. And they can do a ladder match, by God. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised at this point with New Japan. Yeah. I, I think yeah, I, I I'm sure Osprey would be down for it. He had that awesome no DQ match with Kojima, which people didn't like as much as as we did. I did anyway. I loved it. I loved it. But yeah. Same. Dude, so yeah, so that's what I honestly think is going to happen. So I, oh man, the more I'm thinking about this, the more I think you're going to be right. Because I think that the big the big marquee match that they're going to try to build towards is Okada and Osprey. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And I hope Shingo doesn't get lost in the shuffle here because I think he's doing a great job as champion. I think he's totally stepped up to bat here. I really do. Then I would love to see Shingo and Zach go at it as kind of like Fair. the co-main. Co Fair, fair enough. Yeah, but I do think I do think it's going to be Kazuchika Okada who brings this thing home. Well, there you go. All right, so that is the the Q and A. Thank you to everyone. Every week we're going to be putting up a new Q and A. You can ask us anything, and it just doesn't have to be about New Japan because Impact Wrestling right now is on their road to Bound for Glory, their biggest show of the year. And as we are on the road to Bound for Glory, I think I'm going to add that to the roster. Having said that, MLW is back. I think we're going to be watching a little bit of MLW. This is when Boris and Matt divide and conquer because we try to, you know, get that 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 net, the catch-all for wrestling yeah. shows. But as the G1 is going on, we will for sure talk about G1 every week. We will for sure talk about ROH because I cover it at SlamWrestling.net. And... Um, you know, we're going to be talking about NWA when there are pay-per-views to talk about but or something major to talk about. But uh, that's pretty much the plan moving forward. Dope. Yeah, I might. Uh, I, I like the idea of MLW, but I'm more into this G1 right now. I want to get every G1 show for sure. I will go, come back to MLW, but maybe if you want to do uh, TNA and MLW, I'll take the G1 from here. But yeah, next week we're covering G1's day, days four, five, six, and seven on next week's show. Yep, and we might just stick to that because that's a lot of wrestling to cover. Um, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it on NXT Talk, so if you're coming from the Sunday Night's Main Event feed, remember, you already have the midweek market out. Jason was alone. NXT Talk, new branding. We talk NXT 2.0. We talk Braun Breaker, the future of NXT. Um, tomorrow you're getting a huge show from the old fucks all elite weekly talking all things dynamite then Saturday I love Saturdays because you get not one but two podcasts you get the old fucks talking all things rampage and then you also get the smack daddies talking smackdown and then remember this Sunday you are going to be getting a after party because this Sunday is extreme rules so there is going to be a live after party for patrons of Sunday night's main event. If you're not a patron, go sign up. Sunday night's main event, SNME Radio, patron.com slash SNME Radio. They call it Extreme Rules, but there's only one Extreme Rule match. It's really more of a Extreme Rule, you know? Singular Rule, Boris. They didn't really land that joke. Let's uh, cut that in post. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. 
Thank you all for uh, being part of this here, bam. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the fact that you're waving to me as you're saying goodbye to the listeners. <laughs> well, also goodbye to you, friend. You know? <laughs> I love it. Uh Let's let yeah, we're just ending this at this point. That's it. All right, so thank you again for listening. He's Matt. I'm Boris. The show is BAM Weekly. Good night. <laughs>